Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, middle of the week. Glad to be with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, 17th of June. One day closer to the start of the college football season. Isn't that right, Brian? Hey, Dad? That is 100% correct. It is accurate. I didn't put a year on it. I didn't put a day on it. I just said we are one day closer to the start of college football. And that is a true statement. Michael Borky, what's up? Oh, nothing. Oh, jeez, we're doing that today. (laughs) Oh, man, I mean, talk about the last, I don't know, 45 minutes of actual sports news, if you will. Still coronavirus impacted, but sports news nonetheless. Being a roller coaster akin to a penny stock. (laughs) I mean, we had... They've come to an agreement. No, they haven't. Well, it's close. Well, well, not really. Well, they did this. Well, no, they haven't. It's been a wild ride for the last half hour. All right, so we're talking about Major League Baseball. You got news from John Heyman. You got news from Evan Drellich. You got news from Jeff Passan. You've got news from Ken Rosenthal. And you've got news from Jason Stark all via Twitter all... I'm assuming, this may be a bad assumption, my guess is that none of those five people, all five of who, I I don't know as much about uh, Evan Drellich, but all five of those guys are pretty connected. Do you think either of them talked to Rob Manfred or Tony Clark in the last hour and a half? My guess would be no. My, My guess is no. So that means we've all got to use our brains just a little bit, which is a little bit of lost art sometimes. So we we got to think about what we're reading and what we're hearing. What do we know to be certain? Rob Manfred requested a face-to-face meeting with Tony Clark, who is the president or, or the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, which, by the way, was step one in the right direction. I was thinking about this, Borky, about an hour, maybe an hour and a half ago. And and I wish I had better examples. I, I, I searched for some of these, and I couldn't find an example historically that was exactly what I was looking for. But history kind of tells us that when you play your negotiations out in the public, they don't usually go well. And so I have a very recent example for you. Do you remember when there was a, uh, a debate here in the state of Mississippi not too terribly long ago about who has the right 
to spend all the money that the state of Mississippi was getting from the CARES Act. And the governor was using his daily press conference to say vehemently that he had the right. And leaders in the House and the Senate were vehemently telling you through various media outlets that they had the right. And you know when they came to an agreement? You remember? Hey, yeah, Dad, do you they remember? met privately in person. Yes. That's when they came to an agreement. They sat down, presumably around a table. Maybe it was in plush leather chairs. Maybe it was one guy in a chair and a couple of guys on a couch sitting awkwardly. I don't know what the furniture arrangement was. But they sat down and they talked face to face. And I don't know exactly how that meeting went. And I don't know exactly what everybody's true, real feelings were after it was over. But the next day... We got an announcement that said, we are working together to do this. The governor will be involved in the allocation of the money. The legislature will set forth the spending of the money. That's their job. That's his job. We're going to work together. Were there hurt feelings after that? Yeah, probably so. But you know what? They decided to put a better face forward in the name of what is good and right for the state of Mississippi and they came to an agreement after they sat down together and talked. Recent example. And now let's go to Major League Baseball. How long have we been doing this, hey, Dad? Six weeks? Two months? A month? How long has it been? Long time. Back and forth, back and forth. Jeff Passan's got a story. Ken Rosenthal's got a story. John Haben's got a story. Jeff Passan, who Borky is... Resorted to calling scoops passing. Got another story. This proposal goes. A week passes. This proposal goes. Twitter outrage by players. Major League Baseball owners are mad. They don't care if we have a season or not. Players, we're not coming off of... Guess what? Get the people who are in charge and sit them down together. Again, I don't really care what the furniture arrangement is. Across a table, at a coffee shop, sitting together on a couch on water slides that are side-by-side, side. it makes no difference to me. Just be in the same place and have an adult conversation and figure out a way to come to an agreement that will allow you to play baseball. That happened earlier today, and Major League Baseball delivered a proposal to the Major League Baseball Players Association to think that Within an hour of that meeting happening, we have a deal, let's play baseball. That's not using your brain. But to think reports are it was a productive meeting, all of the rhetoric is now set aside, they can actually get down to negotiating and it's more likely today, significantly more likely today than it was yesterday or the day before, that a Major League Baseball season is going to happen, that is a reasonable deduction from what you know actually happened. So why, why is it reported differently? Help me out. Bad sourcing? 
Okay. Everybody Desperate pressure, first, pressure to be first? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it could have been lost in translation somewhere. Uh, but that's probably what it comes down to is, is one of those two things. Either the source got uh, ahead of their skis or the reporter got ahead of their skis. Or you just wanted to be first and so you put it out there. You thought you had information, but you heard the information you want. How's it? It's not even possible, is it? That they could walk away from that meeting uh, uh, unless, unless somehow the MLBPA gave Tony Clark 100% authority to negotiate a deal on their behalf without bringing the deal back to the players for their approval, and the owners gave Rob Manfred 100% authority to negotiate a deal on their behalf without bringing that deal back to them for approval, there's no possible way that an hour after the meeting's over, there's a deal to play baseball. It's just not possible. And the thing is, the players are going to counter this proposal. So not only was there not a proposal agreed upon, they're initially at least going to say no and counter. Which is what they yeah. should do, because that's what negotiations are. But, I mean, it's not even, they'll just approve it and move on. They're going to say but, no. But, hey, but Borky, you know how it should happen? They accept it and it play? It should be, yeah, yeah, but, it, but we, we don't need to hear all of that. We need Rob Manford to go back to his owners and say, okay, we delivered the proposal. We need Tony Clark to get the proposal to the players and say, okay, this is what they've offered. Here's what we're willing to do. And if indeed it was a proposal for about 60 games at full pro rata, then the players are going to come back and say, no, we want 75 games at full pro rata. And then they meet in the middle. And you play a 66-game season, which is what Jason Stark said would be the best from a scheduling standpoint anyway. You play 66 games, you play 68 games, you play 70 games, you get to the playoffs, you've got expanded playoffs for the next two years, the players wave their, uh, wave their rights to file a grievance against the owners, everybody gives a little, and we get baseball. It's really not that complicated. Or it shouldn't be. It wasn't for literally every other sport. Even through Kyrie Irving's craziness, the NBA is still pushing right along, and that's not even a blip on their He's radar an anymore. Nut job, uh, of course. <laughs> Just a nut job. Shocked that the flat Earth truther is a bit of a head case. But even there, I mean, that, that's not even an issue for them anymore. They're just they're pushing right along. I mean, they're going to play, and that was the league with the second most issue with the restart, and they're all good. You guys, these fire text line is open to you. I'm sorry, I've been wasting your afternoon. Hey, Dad, go ahead. I, I've been watching sports this afternoon, not worrying about sports that may or may not happen. I've had a great afternoon. Little, little football on your TV? It's right here on the phone. Yep. There you go. I was doing what's called working, but, you know. Hey, I worked. We'll give you the number for the ceasefire text line when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started. Well, I'm going to miss her when I get home. Right now I'm on this lake shore and I'm sitting in the sun. I'm sure it'll hit me when I 
that door tonight Yeah, I'm gonna miss her Oh, looky there I've got to buy to 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. So here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, period. Unlimited talk and text with 10 gigabytes of high-speed data for $45 per line with auto pay and paperless billing. Without auto pay, it's only $50. How's that for fine print? No bull. That's the real deal. Switch today at cspire.com slash real deal. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you on this Wednesday afternoon. So quick summary on all that has happened so far today in baseball. Haydad, would it make you feel better to give us a score update on whatever soccer match it is you're watching right now? It's 1-0, man. Manchester City. Raheem Sterling put one in uh, into stoppage time near the end of the first half. Uh, second half has just kicked off. City needs to win this game today to keep any of their faint, faint, faint title hopes alive. And it's against Chelsea, I'm assuming? Uh, it's against Arsenal. No, they're playing Arsenal. Yeah. So so you watch other matches other than just when Chelsea's playing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good for you. There we go. I've got it on uh, on television now. So Man City leading Arsenal 1-0 at the, uh, near the end of the first half. So... All right, so here's kind of the rundown on what's happened. What was the what was that face for? It's the beginning of the second half. I thought you said they were in stoppage time at the end of the first half. I said the second half just kicked off. That's right. They don't have stoppage time at the end of the first half, right? It's only at the end of the they game. They do have the stoppage game. time, but it would say 45 plus. It wouldn't say 46, ah, right. whatever it is, whatever it is right now. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so they're in the 47th minute with Man City leading 1-0. There you go. Thank you. Right, get it right now. Accuracy is important. It's very important, said Quanzo Martin. For the third time, here's kind of the summary of what has happened in the baseball world today. John Heyman earlier. Breaking MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred and Players Union Chief Tony Clark had what's being called a productive <laughs> meeting face-to-face in Arizona. The meeting was called at Manfred's request. Nothing wrong whatsoever with that tweet. Next tweet. MLB and Players Union are closing in on an agreement to play the 2020 season via the players. Deal expected to be for prorated pay and include expanded playoffs. Okay, closing in, maybe a little loose with the language there, but fair enough. And he points out that as part of the pending agreement, now we're putting a little stronger language on it, to play the 2020 season between MLB and the Players Union, The union has uh, agreed to waive any grievance. Okay. And then Evan Drillich. Source says no deal is close yet between MLB and MLBPA because the proposal was just sent by MLB. No agreement even in principle at this point. Jeff Passan. There is no agreement between MLB and the MLBPA. MLB knows players must get full pro rata. League wants players to waive their right to grieve. It's a little insensitive. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Expanded playoffs Uh, are a part uh, of this. uh. The number of games is vital. Other issues, too. There is work to be done, but a pathway to a deal does exist. Okay, reasonable report there. And then Ken Rosenthal. More specific. Source, MLB proposal includes 60 games in 70 days. 
Season starting July 19th or 20th. Full prorated salary, expanded, expanded playoffs this year and next, which would certainly pave the way. I'm editorializing here for expanded playoffs going forward as well. Yeah, so, and the waiving of any potential grievance. So real quick, why the expanded playoff next year? What, what would be the point of that? Just because what you said, they want to test it out and then make it permanent? Yeah, I mean, there are two years. There's this year and next year left in the existing collective bargaining agreement. And so expanded playoffs will lead to more money through television for the league, which theoretically should lead to more money for the players. And I, right. I, I, I again, I'm guessing here, but MLB knows that it's going to have to pay the players more or at least make more money available to the players in their new deal, so they might as well get that piece of the puzzle in. Sure. Just I, guessing. I, I worded the question poorly. I, I understand, for example, like why they're doing it this year, it just shorter season, and with the World Series champion being where they were after 50 games last year, makes sense to expand the playoff to make sure that you get everybody that's worthy into the playoff. Why, for two years, expanded playoff, aside from because it'll make them more money? Is there any other reason for it being included in this deal for next year before they negotiate the CBA? Because they can only expand it through next year right now? Okay. All right. That makes sense. I, I got a hot take uh, Again, on this. I mean, okay. They'll never go back. No. Of course they won't. They, this will just lead to more money. Fit. It's going to lead to more money, and of course, it's going to lead to some, you know, 78 and 85 team winning the World Series one year. I, I can live with that. Because to win the World Series, you've got to go through four rounds of the playoffs, and you've got to win a five-game series and a seven-game series and another seven-game series. If you get to carry the trophy off at the end of the year, you were playing the best baseball at the right time of the year. i got no problem with a team at a 500 record winning it. All right. Do you? It just seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, it's been it's been this way in football. I don't know the team with the worst record to win the Super Bowl off the top of my head, but you had some ten and sixes win it, right? Ten and six, but that's that's your four games over five hundred. You know, this is okay. eight games under. Well, yeah, I mean, using I, and I said five hundred. I mean, so so if the San Francisco Giants, your team, went eighty-one and eighty-one in the regular season. They had some injuries early, fell behind the eight ball, played better ball in the second half of the season, were closing the gap, got it back to 500. They were the last team in, and the pitching was healthy, and they were really starting to swing the bats well, and they made a run through the playoffs and carried the trophy off. You think it wouldn't be legitimate? Well, if the Giants did it, it would be legitimate. Come on, man. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying that the it's difficult to picture a below 500 team getting into the MLB playoffs, and that, that appears to be what's going to happen. Are we sure? I mean, if they get 16 in, well, let's, I mean. I mean, if you go if you go back to the standings, were, were there not 16 teams last year that were above 500? Let me look. If only we had a device. <sighs> well, this is this, is this um, year's standings. Schedule, not the that. standings. Nobody cares about this year's standings. They're zero and zero. Yeah. All right. No, I'm, I'm right. So there what? With how many? How many right, so 2019. Yeah. You got three division winners, and two wild cards, right? So, 
three division winners, and then your two wild cards last year were. The, am, I, am I right in saying it's the Rays and the A's were the, were the wild cards last year? No, you had ten, you had ten. Yeah, yeah. So so three and two on both sides. Okay, I'm just looking at the AL right this second. All right, so the next yeah, so, three team, the next teams. So we need three more. You so need we'd three have the more. Indians. The Indians would have had 93 wins. The Red, Red Sox, Sox had 84 wins. 80, the next team in would have been the Rangers at 78 and 84. Okay. So. And then on the National League side of things, let's see here. The right, Mets so the had Braves. 86 wins. Cubs yeah. had 84 wins. Diamondbacks had 85 wins. So the NL would have would have been good. The AL would have had a team under 500. Okay. The Giants would have made the playoffs in the AL. Gah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't have an issue with that. All right. But, I mean, it's okay for us to disagree. I, it's not the issue so much as it's just odd, right? It's just weird to think about. A team in, in in Major League Baseball, which has always had teams way over 500 for the most part, making the playoffs. I mean, there's not a lot of 82 and 80 teams that have made the playoffs. And to think that a team that's you know six seven games under could get in is just weird. Yeah. Could we see it in the NFL with expanded playoffs? Yeah, I mean, you no almost doubt. had it in, in a division in the Cowboys division this past season. Yeah, we got a uh, Gibb and Greenwood pointing out the Seahawks hosted a playoff game at seven and nine a few years back. It was the Saints. I'm okay with it. Hey, more playoffs as a consumer are more enjoyable, and it, I understand why people don't like it. But also, it, you've got to remember that these are businesses, and their goal is to yeah. make as much money as humanly possible. And expanded playoffs make more money. Maybe it's not right, and oh. You know, we're giving too many teams a shot at the playoffs, but that also brings in millions upon millions of dollars, and that's really the genesis of these leagues is to make money. So, We just got a text that said, breaking news, Man City now leads 2-0. Yeah, Kevin DeBrine with a, After a penalty, uh, kick. penalty kick. And a red card on David Luiz, so he's uh, he's out. Oh. Arsenal down to 10 oh. men. We might get a boat race before this thing's all said and done now. Could be. Something that has not happened for Ole Miss basketball in a long time. Tell you what it is next. Hey, Dan, I'm going to need your help on this one. I think I've got it right, but if anything stands out to you, help me out here. Okay. I don't think we had recruiting rankings when John Stroud made his way to Ole Miss to play basketball. Johnny Newman was a one-and-done way before one-and-done was popular, but I don't think we can go to the recruiting rankings. I, I don't know how widely sought out he was as a basketball player. Stefan Moody was a transfer. Marshall Henderson was a transfer with plenty of baggage. Um, Chris Warren... If he had not gotten injured, kind of leading up to his big, important recruiting time, might not have ended up at Ole Miss. He was a coup for Andy Kennedy. And and AK told me the story one time. It's like they were trying to figure out a way to hide him during the showcases so that they could keep his commitment all the way to the end. 
the last time I remember a significant recruiting coup for Ole Miss basketball in the state of Mississippi, and by the way, all those guys I just mentioned outside of John Stroud were from outside the state of Mississippi. Quite simply, historically, Ole Miss basketball has not gotten the best players from the state of Mississippi. The year 2000 would be the exception when Ole Miss landed what was called the Provine Posse with Justin Reed and Aaron Harper and David Sanders and Wayne Brent joined Rod Barnes' staff as an assistant coach. That couldn't happen these days now, you think about it. Yeah, they've, they've changed the way... I mean, the rules, yeah. There are ways still to get stuff done, but that right. particular way is not allowed anymore. Is there somebody that I'm missing in terms of marquee Mississippi basketball players that ended up at Ole Miss? Othello Harrington was one they thought they had a chance at, and then he went to Georgetown. Gerard Ward was one they were kind of halfway in on, and he ended up going to Michigan. Yeah. All, I don't want to say all, most of the elite in-state guys that have stayed in-state have either committed to or gone to Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody that I'm missing? Off the top of my head, no. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, but it's he's not coming to me. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's my point. Maybe there is somebody else. Gerald Glass? But uh, yeah, again, but, I mean, you're going so back to the late ago. 80s, and I don't know what the recruiting battle was like. Yeah. I mean, he was a transfer, too, so. Joe Harvell was... He's he was from Arkansas. A, was he a junior college transfer? I don't know about that, but he was from Arkansas anyway. So, Okay, so outside the state of Mississippi. Yeah. Anyway, the, the reason them. I say all that is to say that this story for Ole Miss basketball is a big deal. Ole Miss has landed the commitment of a four-star point guard from Callaway High School in Jackson, uh, Deshaun Ruffin. He is kind of who Kermit Davis and his staff have targeted as the the star recruit of the 2021 class. He is ranked number 38 nationally by 24-7 Sports in their composite index and is one of the best players to come out of Mississippi in a long time. And he picked Ole Miss over Florida, Auburn, Alabama, Mississippi State, and LSU. And frankly, over the last two and a half or three decades, Deshaun Ruffin would have gone to any of those five schools before going to Ole Miss. Wouldn't have been a stretch to see Florida win a recruiting battle. We've seen Auburn win recruiting battles in Mississippi. We've seen it with Alabama. We've obviously seen it with Mississippi State. And we've seen it with LSU. And he's a good player. 27 points, 4 rebounds a year ago, went north of 30, 11 times, had 40 points in a game. He's only 5'9", so 5'9", 160 pounds, a little smaller. And that hasn't really kept people from being impressed with what he uh, what he brings to the table. That's a really big pickup for Kermit Davis and Ole Miss basketball. That was the question mark uh, when the hire was made was not – can he coach? Because, I mean, you saw his teams at Middle Tennessee. The guy can coach basketball. It was whether or not 
he can elevate the recruiting profile and get enough players, uh, good enough players at Ole Miss to compete with the ever-improving SEC. We've talked about it all the time. Uh, A few years ago now, there was an initiative from the league office to get better at basketball, and teams or schools responded by hiring elite-level coaches who, by... Uh, strong offers or otherwise are acquiring extremely high-level talent, more so across the board than the league ever has, could Kermit Davis keep up with that kind of talent acquisition around the SEC? And so far through, especially in this class, I mean, I know he's got a a top 50 kid coming right now and also one especially really high-level graduate transfer, but to do it in back-to-back years at a place that is historically borderline impossible to recruit to shows that maybe he does have the ability to not only coach very good basketball, but get the kind of players you need to compete with what Auburn and LSU, at least for a little while longer, and others uh, are doing. And he plays a position that is likely to be open going into the 2021 season. I mean, Devontae Shuler is going to be a senior coming up uh, this year, and so he won't be back, and they're going to be looking for a point guard. You would think that that might have factored into the, uh, to the decision for Ruffin. Uh, and it comes on the heels of the announcement yesterday that Blake Henson has entered the transfer portal and Bryce Williams. And, and I actually think this could be a loss. Uh, you could convince me that the loss of Bryce Williams – is actually bigger than the loss of Blake Henson because it felt like there was a lot of potential there going forward. You know, maybe you didn't get exactly what you thought you were going to get from him in his freshman season, uh, but he has just committed to uh, Oklahoma State out of the transfer portal as well. So you've seen some roster flux, uh, attrition, good attrition, bad attrition. You can be the judge of that, but you've seen some flux uh, in the roster over the course of now three recruiting cycles for Kermit Davis. And while basketball is different in the sense that you, you hear all the time, hey, Dad, that you know one player can make the difference or two or three players can be you know completely flip a roster, you got to be at a place where you can go get those two or three players as part of one signing class and then maybe do that two years in a row to completely turn the, the tide on a program. At a place like Ole Miss, it's probably going to take three or four years to, to yeah. kind of completely turn over your roster to get the type of player that you want to play your style of basketball. Yeah, I mean, we see, we see it with Ole Miss now in men's basketball. We're going to see it with Ole Miss in women's basketball. Coach Yo up there has had to turn over her roster basically two years in a row. Ben Howland sort of had to do that. You know, his first year he had uh, five seniors and a true freshman, Malik Newman, who, you know, weren't there in year two. So that, that became sort of a year zero situation, and it took him a while to get the guys in there that he wanted. It, it, it's it, If you're not getting – if you're not recruiting one and done type players, if you're not signing four or five top 100 guys every year, it takes a time to build a program. And you're right. I mean, yeah, one or two guys can make a huge difference, but you got to have the role players and everything else in place around them that comes from building up the program. A couple of texts on the Ceasefire text line. Mr. West, he says Terrence Davis was from South Haven. He, you are absolutely right. He was, and he is now an NBA player, and he turned into a fantastic scorer, but people wanted him to play tight end. coming out of high school. He was an All-State football player that decided he wanted to play basketball and was freakishly athletic and turned himself into a really, really good basketball player. I remembered one eventually. Jozon Darby played at Murrah. Did he come in as a freshman or as a transfer? No, that I don't know. I'm pretty sure. I I thought he was at Ole Miss this whole time. He may have been. Dundrikus Nelson, John Intupolo says, was a top 100 guy. 
Uh, says was Raheem Lockhart from Piney Woods. I think that's right. Richard and Wiggins says, who was that crazy McDonald's All-American kid? For Ole Miss? Oh, oh, J- uh, Jalon Kendrick. He's the guy that uh, in pregame warm-ups was hanging out with his girlfriend in the student section. <laughs> Joe Darby was a transfer. Okay. I was thinking that was the case. I don't know if this is a fair. To say. I mean, you you, you got to go. You got to be kind of like a college basketball fan from the uh, from the mid '90s for this reference to uh, to make sense to you. I always thought of Jozon Darby as a poor man's Alex Dillard, and that's not a knock on Jozon Darby. Ooh, he was a really good player. Hit some big shots for Ole Miss. Uh, I remember SEC SEC basketball tournament at the Pyramid. Taking you back a few years. Uh, Jozon Darby hits a jumper from the elbow at the buzzer to win a first-round game for Ole Miss. That was, on, that was like a Thursday morning. I want to say it was against Vanderbilt, but don't, don't hold me to that. But it was kind of that same mindset. Alex Dillard got off the bus. and that, that, I mean, I, I remember vividly announcer saying, when he got off the bus, he's in range. Yeah, he's in range for the parking lot. Jozon Darby might not have had that range, but he was the same type. Player, score, potential, let it fly, green light guy. Darby, Dillard, and my shirt had something in common. They all had the green going there. Yeah. What You're you okay with that comparison? Jozon Darby is a poor man's Alex Dillard? Sure. He's a good shooter. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We will take a quick timeout and be back with you on this Wednesday. Ceasefire text line with you. Uh, Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. If you would like to be a part of the conversation, you may do so there. Again, Ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395. Ross Dellinger will join us about 45 minutes from right now. Ross is with Sports Illustrated. Covers uh, college football. And will uh, will join us uh, in the four o'clock hour. And Brian Haydad had an interview with KJ Costello, the presumed starting quarterback at Mississippi State. Hey, it it has not actually happened yet. Therefore, he is presumed to be the starter. Okay. I'm, what I presume I'm going to eat dinner I use? later. The starting quarterback at Mississippi State. <laughs> The presumed starting quarterback. Yeah, I agree with you. I presume that you will eat dinner as well later tonight, but you haven't actually done it yet. That's true. Anything could happen between now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good conversation? I thought so. I thought so. You know, sharp kid. Uh, you know, seems to be on top. He, He used a word that I actually caught myself like, wow, he said it was discernment. Like, you don't hear that word every day. Okay. So, did you learn anything interesting? Are we gonna Are we gonna be I fascinated did. by this conversation? I, I learned that, uh, and I, I I don't know if you want me to give it away or not, but uh, I, I mentioned to him that you know, hey, you weren't supposed to be here for the spring, so you know, preparation wise, or you feel like you're in a good spot. He's like, well, actually, I was going to try to get there for the spring. 
So had everything not uh, come in, he would have been on campus April 1st and uh, would have got the last two weeks of spring ball in. That's interesting. That is interesting. Is I, I did not know that. Is that because of the quarter system at Stanford that he would have been able to do that? I, yeah, I didn't dig too deep into it, but that makes sense, right? Yeah. So we'll have that for you uh, coming up a little bit later this afternoon as well. Brian Haydad with KJ Costello. You can also listen to that interview on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. It is available wherever you get podcasts, as is the Rebel Report, hosted by Michael Borky. The Eagle Hour podcast from our guys at Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. And, of course, the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast is available to you as well. A little bit later this afternoon, uh, we'll go through this list that Barrett Salee has put out at CBS Sports. Ten reasons why this is the most intriguing SEC season that we've had in a while. Without going into the list, can you make that argument? That, that the 2020 season is one of the more intriguing or more interesting seasons in the SEC that we've had in recent years? I mean, you can, but I feel like you could probably make that argument every year if you tried. Most years don't have a global pandemic that you get to roll in as one of the storylines. I'll grant you that, but just from a football perspective, I mean, there's always yeah. there's always interesting storylines to me. Yeah. Uh, I will mention this right now, and then uh, when we come back, we will uh, get into the NBA's reopening plan. There are a lot of words in this story from the uh, Athletic Bork. He will summarize it for us, and then we'll get into the really fun stuff of uh, the NBA and how players are going to be allowed to pass the time and the fact that they are actively encouraging narking when the NBA resumes its season in Orlando in... How much longer, Borky? Six more weeks? Uh, carry the two? Yeah, six more weeks. Yeah. Uh, but it is finally coming. And For the- those who were fans of the Ford Bronco, there has not been a Ford Bronco produced by the Ford Motor Company since 1996. That was the last year of the full-size two-door Ford Bronco, and for years, like many, many, many years now, maybe a decade, it has been rumored that Ford will bring back the Bronco. And now, from the official Twitter account of the Ford Motor Company, at Ford, we find a release date coming in the month of July for the new Ford Bronco. That is the vehicle that I wanted growing up that was unattainable. There were, uh, there were a couple of guys that went to high school with me that had one. There's one guy that drove one of the black ones that had the tan top on it. Buddy of mine's dad had one of the kind of emerald green ones that had the top on it, and he would occasionally drive it. I'm so anxious. Like, I'm a truck guy, but I'm trying to figure out there be a Ford Bronco in my future? By the way, the college football fix driven by Ford is coming up a little bit later with you. You buried the lead on that story, afternoon. by the way. The well, release date. A re- the release date of the Ford, Bro- Ford Bronco is OJ Simpson's birthday. Hmm. <laughs> they say July it's July 9th. An accident. 
I mean, I, I think I'm buying that that's a complete coincidence. I, I'm buying that. We'll be back. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. If you're ready for a better phone, Ceasefire is here to help you out. Get up to $700 off top smartphones online when you trade in a device and to add a new line. You'll always find awesome deals on the latest devices at cspire.com, plus with options like free same-day delivery and curbside pickup in select locations. Getting a new smartphone is safer, quicker, and more convenient than ever, and the Cspire network is always getting faster and better, even letting you talk on the phone and use data at the same time. Head over to cspire.com now to find the perfect device for you. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, and Michael Borky on this Wednesday afternoon. Borky, big, long story at The Athletic that outlines the, uh, the, the great, big, long PDF document that got sent out to um, all the players. The 113-page memo on health and safety protocols obtained by The Athletic paints the picture of what the NBA in Orlando is going to look like. In your mind, what are the high points? Uh, it's actually kind of hilarious. So uh, some of the players, they actually are, are objecting to it, and you can probably draw your own conclusions why. Uh, they will be given a wristband that gives them access to basically everything, and they were told, we're not going to track you, but if you leave, we'll know. That's some Big Brother stuff, but... So they're getting a mouse band. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I guess I've never been to Disney, but it's a wristband that gives them access to basically, uh, basically yeah. everything. And, and so, yeah, so that, that's what that is. People were making the jokes yeah. that uh, the Orlando uh, local gentlemen's clubs will not benefit from James Harden's presence in the city for a while. Mm. <laughs> yeah, a few years ago, Disney went to the uh, went to the armbands. They're you know smaller yeah. than a watch, but they 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 fit. And usually, if you plan your trip in advance, they'll send them to you in a box a month or two before you get there. And it's kind of like a big deal when your kids get to open that and, you know, they're color-coded, so I might have a blue one and Jane might have a red one and then there would be a pink one and a yellow one and a, yeah, whatever. So, so yeah, they'll have that. I kind of love that the NBA players are going to have to wear mouse bands <laughs> to, uh, you know, for, like, there's no key card access to your room. You have to have your mouse band. Yeah. That's right. It's a tough situation. I mean, being in a bubble and isolated away from your family kind of stinks, but they are going... It's extremely detailed as well, but they're going above and beyond for these guys. Uh, but the details are funny to me. For example, they're not allowed to play doubles ping pong, but they can play singles ping pong in the players' okay. lounge. They have to discard any deck of cards they use after playing, and they don't expect them to social distance while playing cards, but they do say that once the game is over to throw the cards away and sanitize. I mean, it is that detailed down to the letter of what you do with playing cards. They're go- they and their families are going to have access to Marvel movies before they're released to anybody else. They're going to... Uh-huh. Yeah, how about that, right? Um, hey, Dad, you should have been an NBA player. If I had only been taller, more athletic, faster, a better shooter, more... Inter- I-, I can't go on with this list. It's very long. <laughs> they're going to bring in DJs to perf- to do sets for them, stand-up comedians to do shows for them. Uh, probably not the one that got outed on social media last night, but other comedians, I'm sure, besides him, uh, will be on site. I mean, they are really going to entertain these guys as much as they can. I, the plans, it's it's funny, and 
113 pages, and the details are unbelievable. They're going to bring in uh, oversized beds for particular players that cannot sleep on any kind of regular bed. So, like, Joel Embiid is not going to have his knees hanging over the foot of his bed because he's seven foot two. It's they're really accommodating these guys. Like, if you're going to be stuck in Disney, at least, I mean, you got all this to do. I said Mickey bands. It's actually Magic bands. I should know better on that's that. That's right. But, that's uh, right. It, I should have known too. It does have feel bad. Mickey kind of engraved into it. Uh, and there is some important stuff like testing. Mandatory testing begins at the start of Phase Two, which is going to happen uh, a week from now, or a little less than a week from now, on June 23rd, when each player and essential staff member must undergo a high-sensitivity PCR test, poly, but whatever, and a high-sensitivity serology and antibody test after they have returned to their local markets. Uh, there's a company that uh, the league has designated as their preferred testing provider. Regular testing will continue in Orlando um, starting for Phase 3, July 1st, through the weekend of July 9th through 11th. It will be increased when they get to Phase 4, which is July 9, 10, 11 through July 21, and then will be in place through the restart phase, which is going to happen July 30th until the last possible end date of the regular season on October 13th. So pretty stringent testing protocol that is in place. The question of what if someone tests positive for COVID-19? And I think they probably should ask that a different way, not what if, but when someone tests positive for COVID-19. Well, if a player of prominence gets sick and is forced to bow out of the playoffs, then the league could face the very kind of public reactions disaster that has made this sort of endeavor risky from the beginning. According to the 113-page memo, player who tests positive will be hospitalized if needed and otherwise placed in immediate isolation in, quote, isolation housing, which is a house, hotel, or other facility that is different from their previous location. Sounds fancy. From there, they will go PCR testing or retesting to confirm the positive test. Don't need a false negative. Second positive test will result uh, in being considered positive, and the player has to remain in isolation while beginning the monitoring process. Here's what's ha- what happens... Here's how you get out of isolation. One, you have to be asymptomatic. Two, you have to return at least two consecutive negative PCR tests, more than 24 hours apart. And the infected individual must undergo and clear a medical evaluation by an NBA consulting infectious infectious disease physician. So if you test positive, the road to getting back on the court is not a short one. And it's not an easy one. No. But that's how it should be, right? Absolutely. And the thing, so they still, in the entire report, didn't seem like they addressed, I haven't seen anybody reference it. I certainly didn't read it. I value my time at least a little bit more than that. But uh, they didn't mention at all, or nobody has, what happens if like there's an outbreak within a team. But it sounds like they're so confident in their protocols that that's not really possible that they are yeah. going to be so tested and so isolated. And you will, like, if a player does get it, you'll be able to know exactly who he got it from. And even the Disney employees that they interact with are, there's so much they have to go through in order to even go into their unoccupied room to clean it that they'll know exactly where it came from if they get it. And the likelihood of it being a, a big outbreak is so minimal, they don't even put it in the report, which I find. 
pretty remarkable, but, you know, what if? I mean, it's a controlled environment, a highly controlled environment, and they believe that they're going to be able to control it, which is really, really smart. So how do you enforce the rules? You incentivize narcs. That's how. <laughs> if anyone on the campus sees rules being broken and worries that the actions of one individual might bring harm on the rest of them, the NBA will have an anonymous hotline available for reporting purposes. 555-NARC. That's all you got to dial on your smartphone, and you will be connected to um, the, uh, the, the, the person in charge of doling out punishment. Man, if I'm like a, a low-level staffer for New Orleans, that if like they send me home, it's not a big deal. I'm calling the hotline and saying that I saw John Morant doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing. Yeah. Failure or refusal to comply with the protocols may subject a player to disciplinary action by the NBA or his team, but not by both. Repeat offenders may be subject to enhanced discipline. Uh, the... the it can be a fine, it could be a suspension, it could be removal from the campus, depending on how serious it is. So, here are the amenities. Players-only lounge with video games, including NBA 2K, arcade games, ping pong, movie screenings, DJ setups, lawn games, and more. They will have pools and trails available for running and riding bikes, personal services, including barbers, manicures, pedicures, hair braiders, all available by appointment, a 24-hour VIP concierge, and team-sponsored excursions, including trips to restaurants, boating, bowling, fishing, golfing, and whatnot. Compare this... Uh, seriously, I mean, the, the, the whole point of this, I think, further shows the leadership vacuum that exists in Major League Baseball. I mean, look at the difference. I know the NBA makes more money, I guess, than Major League Baseball. No, they had a face-to-face meeting today, Borky. It's going to oh, be yeah. okay. <laughs> but all of this stuff, we had a texter that said it makes them hate the NBA even more, and I understand why, because it seems like they're going over the top, but that's why they got a deal done. It's because they were willing to go out of their way to make sure their players wanted to come back and play, and the, all the owners agreed to give them full salaries just to make sure they played. Compare that to Major League Baseball. There's a reason that somebody's got a deal in place and somebody doesn't right now. If it means coddle, coddle. You've got to make money. They're your athletes. you got to play. And it worked. By the way, if you're on the front row of the bench, you don't have to wear a mask. If you're on the second row of the bench or in the stands or you're at the scorer's table or a ball boy or an equipment attendant or a broadcaster, you got to wear a mask. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, up next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. So, Ross, we'll, uh, we'll put you in the, uh, the gambling game right out of the gate. If you had to put a percentage on college football happening on time, and I'm talking about Labor Day weekend, kind of across the board, what percentage right now would you give it actually happening? Uh, right now, how I feel about it, I, I would probably say uh, 70%. Okay. Yeah, I talked to someone yesterday um, that's pretty involved in college football, and, and his answer was 
you know, better than 50%. And I was like, mm, I was really hoping you were going to say 70, 75, 80. There's still reservation with a lot of people that are in high-level decision-making areas, isn't there? Yeah, you know, there is. And it, it, I think it stems from um, the unpredictability and uncertainty around virus case numbers right now. We, we, we are seeing positive signs that the virus across America is going down. However, in, in certain states, um, you see a spike in, in new cases. Uh, and not just, you know, obviously they're testing more. So you're going to have more positive tests. That's where you have to look at the positive, what's called the positive test percentage. Um, it is basically uh, how many um, new cases are, uh, or I, I guess how many cases uh, of, of the virus test positive among the, the, the total tests. And that gives you a good idea. And in most states, I think that's going down. Um, however, there's a few states where that's rising. And so that's the concerning factor is, are you going to have too, too much spiking where you'll, uh, you'll have you know, state governments start backtracking from phase three to phase one or phase two to phase one. And then you start having campuses and closing back, you know, and that would slow things and that would interrupt things. And the thing is, is I think a lot, a lot of people in college football expect that to happen. I mean, they're expecting not everybody to start the season on time because of delays and interruption and summer workout or, or fall camp or, or whatnot. And they expect it during the season too, you know? Um, so we're going to have, we're going to have interruptions and stuff, but I think you'd have to have a lot of them and, and you'd have to have a lot of them happen in August, you know, late July and August during this preseason plan. Uh, that the NCA is approved, you have to have a lot of it happen for for a large number of teams to say, okay, we're just not going to start the season on time, you know, everybody. Um, and I just, you know, the way we're heading right now, there might be two to three states in that position where they can't start on time maybe. Uh, but I think everybody else starts, you know. And, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd put it around 70. Um and I think it's climbed, you know. Uh, I would say six weeks ago it was probably around 40, uh, you know, and, and maybe two weeks ago it was around 50 and 60. And so I think it's climbing. Ross, we got the announcement, good grief, it's probably been a month ago now, that South Carolina and I think Notre Dame announced about the exact same time that, that they were going to end the semester on campus at least uh, at the Thanksgiving holiday, I, I'm led to believe that that's going to be ca- the case at you know both schools that are in the SEC in Mississippi. That it's probably going to be pretty much the case all over the SEC. Do you think that has an effect on football one way or the other, or is this just kind of a precaution that universities are taking because? Uh, I, I, I don't know. They they think that bringing back kids in November when maybe there's going to be a a resurgence of the virus doesn't make sense to bring them back on campus for just a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I think this is all about that sec- predicting, projecting that second wave of the virus to come during flu season, which is normally, obviously, when it gets cold, November, December, January, um, the normal flu season. And I think doctors are expecting there to be some kind of second wave. Uh, how big it is or how severe, we don't really know. But I think um, having, you know, um, 30,000 students on a campus compared to 
having just 300 athletes. I mean, you're, you're obviously going to pick the latter, uh, you know, and, and that'll cut down your risks of uh, potential, you know, large outbreaks on campuses, which, of course, could have an ad- adverse effect on football. So I'm sure football and sports is, is, uh, is thought about here. Um, but honestly, I, I think part of this is an educational decision just because I mean, you don't want the virus spreading classroom to, to classroom um, during, during when it gets real cold. You don't want uh, there to be some mass outbreak on campus. Not only will it affect you know, football, basketball teams, but it's going to affect your student body, and uh, you don't want that. So you're going to see a lot of this. Uh, comp- Pat Forty and I about six weeks ago or so did a, a combo story uh uh, all interviewing each of the conference commissioners to get their take. And um, uh, one of them, or a couple of them mentioned this, this hybrid learning and how um, hybrid model where you have maybe 30% uh, of, uh, of the student body on campus and maybe you have 70% off campus and, and how that's going to be, um, you know, something that has picked up steam. And we're seeing now, you know, dozens of schools plan to do it. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated on your radio. Switching subjects uh, a little bit, we probably spent more time than I care to think about over the last couple of days talking about Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy, Chuba Hubbard. I know you've spent some time covering this as well and providing some context. Do you have a kind of a 30,000-foot takeaway on, on this story and what it means for Oklahoma State going forward? Well, you know, I, yeah, I try to look at it uh... – you know, in the big picture, a little bit in the grand grand scheme of of everything, uh, you know, coaches are going to have to understand um, that that what they say and do and what they wear. Um, in Mike Gundy's case, their players are going to are going to see, and it, it, it might affect their relationship with their players. Um, and obviously, you know, in the FBS level, they're. Uh, their players are, are, are predominantly uh, minority, and, and uh, you know you you have to really be careful about what you say and do, and and it, it's it's kind of a new age where we've entered um, of player empowerment uh, from name, image, and likeness stuff to uh, the the racial issues and the social media uh, statements and, and all this. Um, you know, they have players have an avenue to, to voice their opinion and. And they uh, they've been empowered to do it, and I think it's only good for for college sports because they should have more of a voice. You know, we're going to look back in ten, twenty years from now and think, my gosh, you remember that time where where a player was, you know, treated like a a secondhand citizen, you know, and um, but at the same time, I think there's another part of this, and and co- old school coaches will 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 take this side, and I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate, but. Um, you have coaches who feel like um, too much power uh, for an 18, 19 year old can can could result in uh, a negative impact on um, their lives uh, in in just sports in general. Um, it's going to be, I guess, remain to be seen. Um, but I think for the most part, it it's a good thing, and in coaches, and especially those of conservative nature, are are, are going to have to be careful about what they say and do, you know, politically. Ross, about two minutes left. The South does not have a monopoly on racism. I feel confident saying that. 
and I know you've traveled all over the country covering college football, and I'm sure you've seen things in, in other parts of the country that would support that as well. With that said, are we going to see movement from players about things that they see as injustices all over the country? And, and is, is what we've seen at Iowa and Oklahoma State and Clemson and Ole Miss, if, if it hasn't happened yet, it's certainly coming. Is that going to happen everywhere? I don't know about everywhere. Um, I certainly could see it happening um, at several more places. And maybe it doesn't get out. Maybe we don't know about it. Um Maybe it, it just doesn't. Uh, it, maybe it's something like Chuba Hubbard. Maybe uh, the player doesn't take the social media. Maybe he just confronts the, the coach, you know, head on, straightforward, right? Um, and maybe that that's what happens. Maybe coaches sit down and have a big team meeting, and everybody hears their grievance, and it's just not taken public. But the thing is, if it's not taken public, and I saw the video of Oklahoma State released it with, with Chuba or Chuba Hubbard, I guess, released and Chuba apologize for tweeting it. Well, I get it. Coaches want things to kept in-house. Locker room stuff stays in the locker room. Those days are gone, though. You know, and if 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 somebody like Hubbard doesn't come out with it publicly, we don't we don't know about it in in change can't really happen. Uh so it does in a lot of ways it does need to come out publicly. But I, I to answer your question, I do think it's gonna happen in a lot of places I just don't think we're going to necessarily know about it. It's going to be as public as it's been at places like Iowa and Oklahoma State. Ross, you're always uh, always gracious with your time. Really appreciate you joining us this afternoon and look forward to visiting with you again soon. All right, guys. See y'all. Ross Dellinger from uh, Sports Illustrated on the Farm Bureau phone line. Favorites.com. Go with the home team. Mississippi Farm Bureau. College football notes for you. One of regional interest, the Southern Heritage Classic, which is the annual bout between Tennessee State and Jackson State at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, has all kinds of activities that go along with it. Huge tailgate party uh, outside the Liberty Bowl in Tiger Lane, a parade that goes through uh, parts of uh, the downtown Memphis area and around the Liberty Bowl, uh, has been canceled due to uh, COVID 19. Uh, the event draws upwards of 75,000 people annually and uh, just decided that uh, it was not a good idea for that event to happen this year. So the Southern Heritage Classic with uh, Tennessee State and Jackson State has uh, has been canceled as a result of COVID-19. Help me out. All Okay. Why? Like, if... If nothing changed from today until when do you think would be an appropriate time where you the, like the last day where you'd have to decide whether or not a game is being being played? Is it two weeks? You know, make the call two weeks out for for it to be as late as possible, but early enough to where you can accommodate travel and whatnot. Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly. I think it's just a guess in your head. What do you think it would be? Well, I mean, yeah, in terms of actually playing the game a couple of weeks, sure. But I think it's the fact that this event is not just a game. Right, but... Like, there's a whole lot more that goes into the Southern Heritage Classic than just the football game. And But it's three months away. 
that that's why I asked the question is I mean it's three months away it why are are calls like that being made so far in advance when so much has happened in the last three months and so much can happen in the next three months I, I saw uh, what was it yesterday yeah it was yesterday uh, that Oxford University researchers found a drug proven to reduce uh, coronavirus deaths not 100% effective but yesterday it was discovered that there is a drug that is effective proven to be effective in reducing deaths if this drug would have been implemented at the beginning 5,000 lives in the United Kingdom would have been saved at this success rate it's about a third success rate in stopping a would-be death of coronavirus that that just happened yesterday so it Imagine a few more months of these kind of things happening before you have to make a call like this. I'm just very surprised that that you want, with all the events around it even, you want to make a call so early when there is still so much time for things to be different, good or, of course, worse, but things to be different in the positive way. The release from the organizers of the game said the decision to cancel all events was made after SHC's Southern Heritage Classics Management reviewed a copy of the Shelby Health Department, Shelby County Health Department's Health Directive Number 6, detailing emergency management relief efforts put in place to address COVID-19, specifically those regarding recreational or athletic events. They went on to say in a statement, I know this is a great disappointment to many who consider the SHC one of the major highlights of the year. The health and safety of our attendees, along with that of our staff, sponsors, and others is a top priority. Practice social distancing, etc. Hmm. I just want to see stories like this. I just think it, it feels so premature. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, we said that it seemed premature to cancel the College World Series. And that was done two and a half months ahead of time, too. So, you know. You know, I did. I've actually thought back on that a couple of times. I still think it was premature to cancel it when they did. Now, mm-hmm. two weeks later, you could have canceled it. And I, right. I mean, obviously, it would have made sense. But I don't know. I still kind of stand by the fact that they made that decision. I mean, obviously the decision was ultimately going to be made, and hindsight shows they got it right, but mm-hmm. I guess. And, I, guess I mean, the, the the folks here may have gotten this right as well. You just don't have to make the call right now. Here's another college football story for you. Mississippi State and Washington State announced an agreed-to future home-and-home series. 2030 in Starkville, Washington State will travel to meet Mississippi State, and then the Bulldogs will make the trek to Pullman on August 30th of the following season. The 2030 meeting will mark the first ever between Mississippi State and Wazoo. The 2031 game will mark the first time ever that an SEC team has played in Pullman. John Cohen said, we're thrilled to add another home-and-home series against a quality opponent, an institution like Washington State. These will be the first-ever meetings between the two programs and should be an exciting opportunity and experience for our student-athletes and fans. Pat Chun, the athletics director at Washington State, said, we're excited to schedule this series with Mississippi State, bring an SEC opponent to Martin Stadium for the first time in school history, etc. Those student-athletes are about to start the fifth grade. 
Yeah. Mike Leach coaching that game? You know, he would be one year older than Nick Saban is right now. So if he's successful at Mississippi State, there's there's a possibility. So he's got to be there for, what, nine years to get to the one in Starkville? Ten? Uh, ten. Ten years. Ten years. i got to hold on this job for 11 if I want to get up to Pullman. Um, does... How long was Jackie Sherrill at Mississippi State? 12? 91 to 2003, so yeah. 12 years? Mm-hmm. How many Mississippi State coaches just throughout time have been there 10 years? Uh, well, Sherrill was. Um, Mullen I mean, was on obviously. nine seasons and, and could have coached a 10th. It was his choice to leave, obviously. Could, could um, have. Did Could have. Right. Uh, but yeah, before that, uh, gosh, I don't. Tyler wasn't there a decade. Uh, nobody between him and McKean would have been there a decade. Hmm. So the odds are against it, but yeah, who knows? And that obviously. But by that same a... token, Mike Leach has been a head coach since uh, what two thousand, so twenty years, and he's only coached at two schools. So ten years is about right for him. Yeah, that's true. Jackie Sherrill, 91 to 03. Rocky Felker was 86 five to seasons. Yeah. Emery Ballard was six seasons. Bob Tyler was six seasons. Charles Shira was five. You get you really gotta go there. back a ways. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, Alan McKean, I think, was there thirty nine. He was thirty nine to forty two and then forty four to forty eight. Yeah. Uh, I'm like back in the 1920s. I don't know how long uh, Ralph Sass was there. So Ralph Sass, Duty Noble had the one year, the one season yeah. back in 1922. Yeah, Ralph Sass was 35, 36, and 37. Yeah, so not long. Good coach though. Where did he go? He just retired. Just got tired of coaching. Went twenty and ten in three years and decided to hang it up. Decided to walk away, including that big win over Army in thirty-five. So what happened? Oh, there was no season in nineteen forty-three. Yeah, right. There was okay. a war going on. Yes, thank you. I'm aware. <laughs> the Germans bombed. I just Harvard. said Don't there was remember, no season remember. in. Yeah. So only two coaches two. Yeah. in the history of the program have been there for 10 or more years. What is it for Ole Miss, though? Fought and Brewer? That is a, uh, a reasonable question, and I will I mean, look that up as well. Kennard was after Vaught and then Sloan. Oh, I missed Ken Cooper in there, didn't I? So, yeah. Ken Cooper. Isn't that right? They had three they would have had what four coaches in the seventies? And then Brewer through the eighties into the early nineties. Joe Lee had the interim year. And then Tuberville, Cutcliffe, Orgeron. Ed Walker from nineteen thirty to thirty seven. Uh you had a 
Not an eight-year run from 38 to 45 with Harry Meir, I guess it is. I don't remember from the last time I talked to him. Yeah, Johnny Vault, 263 games as a head coach. Billy Brewer, 126 games. Yeah. I guess you're right. So only two coaches in Ole Miss history that have served in the head coaching role for more than a decade. Yeah. It's an interesting coincidence. Yeah, it is. Never thought of that before. We What did we learn today? There it is. There have been 38 football coaches in the history of Ole Miss football. And Mississippi State all-time has had 34. And that includes interims that are uh, notched in there. Sports Talk Mississippi will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour after this online at supertalk.fm. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Yeah, when you're dealing with a global pandemic, you've got... Depending on... I mean, this is not breaking news, obviously. But depending on how old you are and what your health situation is, you look at the, the virus, the pandemic, the severity of it in very, very different ways. And here's another example of that. The NBA Coaches Association fears that new league standards and guidelines that could bar team staffers in high-risk categories for the coronavirus from attending the season's restart in Orlando could severely jeopardize their future employment opportunities. Rick Carlisle is the president of the NBCA. He's the coach of the Dallas Mavericks. Um... He and David Vogel, who's the executive director of the organization, have concerns that several assistants and three head coaches could be restricted from leading their teams and could face considerable challenges in resuming their careers. Mike D'Antoni in Houston is 69. Alvin Gentry in New Orleans is 65. And Greg Popovich in San Antonio is 71. Quote from the uh, Coaches Association, the health and safety of all NBA coaches is our main concern. However, we're also concerned with the coach's opportunity to work and to not have their ability to secure future jobs be severely jeopardized. The league assured us that a coach will not be excluded solely because of age. Um, Adam Silver and the NBA have created a situation in Orlando that is likely far safer than in our coaches' home markets, absent a significant threat. We believe a coach should be able to understand and assume their individual risks, wave liability, and coach in Orlando. That was a quote from... uh, I'm not sure who said that. That would not have come from... Huh? To add to it, uh, D'Antoni and Gentry share an agent, and he said, quote, I hope there's a basketball solution to this rather than a legal one, end quote. So if uh, they continue on this path and don't let them coach, uh, there's going to be some litigation to follow. Yeah. Give them a waiver. Let them sign it. Have a lawyer involved. I know you got plenty of rich ones. Just... And let them sign away and let them coach. This idea that you're going to put this in place, and this isn't the first time this has come up. A few weeks ago, uh, Adam Silver was on TNT and, and mentioned that the 
the older coaches may have to coach like up in the stands instead of on the sidelines, and that's just absurd. And uh, Alvin Gentry at the time was like, no way, that's not happening. I'm coaching. You're letting me coach. This is a, a bad idea. Uh, let him sign a waiver then. If that's what he wants to do, if he knows the risk and he wants to coach, why are you going to stop him from coaching yeah. if he's willing to sign his ability to, to sue away? Yeah, so I misunderstood the context of that statement. That was the coaches association saying our guys want to coach and they're ready to coach. So they they don't need to be excluded. They need to be treated the exact same way that all the other coaches in the league are. So that and and again, the the statement from the coaches association and I'm reading that through a very different lens now. Adam Silver and the NBA have created a situation in Orlando that is likely safer than in our coaches' home markets absent a significant threat. We believe a coach should be able to understand and assume their individual risks, waive liability, and coach in Orlando. That's the statement from the Coaches Association. I agree with that. I mean, could you imagine? And Gentry especially, he's kind of on the hot seat, especially with this new young core, and he only got 20 games to coach Zion. But going into the season, you thought the roster that he's got now needs to be one that he takes to the playoffs. I mean, he... He couldn't get it done with the last few years of Anthony Davis and the roster wasn't constructed very well, but still there's a lot of questions about his his coaching ability. And so going into this season, it was, you better win or else we're moving on. And now you get a chance at Orlando to close the gap and make the playoffs and keep your job, and they're going to tell you that you have to coach up in the booth? Forget that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But again, I mean, it's a reminder that different groups look at this thing different ways. And I like that the coaches' association is saying personal responsibility. I mean, that's kind of what the, the drum that I've been banging. Let's, you, you got to make decisions that are best for your health. And if you're willing to take risks, then okay. <laughs> there are potential consequences that exist there based on your age or your health status. And if you're good with it, then good. Go for it. College Football Fix is just around the corner. We'll look into those reasons that this could be the most intriguing college football season in a long time. That's a list from Barrett Salee at CBS Sports. We'll uh, see if we agree with uh, the ideas that he puts out there. And then an interview that uh, Brian Haydad did on the Thunder and Lightning podcast with Mississippi State presumed starter K.J. Costello. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour with you. We'll be right back. Warsaw, Mississippi, 5 o'clock hour, Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, thanks for being with us. C Spire text line is open Upgrade your Anywhere office with Microsoft Teams. Include the Microsoft 365 from C Spire Business, or it's included with that when you get Microsoft Teams. Their experts can equip your organization to chat, meet, call, and collaborate from anywhere on one secure, easy-to-use platform. And when you order from C Spire Business, they provide dedicated 24-7 support to make sure you get the most from Microsoft 365 and help scale your services as your business needs change. Find the right plan for you at cspire.com slash business. 
601-879-4395. That is the number for the C Spire text line. Right now, we go to the college football fix. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm not a, I'm not a kid. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Sure. Apropos of nothing. Felt it was appropriate. Check out their website, buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough, but it's not just Ford F-150s. It's the entire lineup of Ford vehicles with savings for you. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. You enjoying the Alabama fight song? Great introduction to a fight song. Fight song's okay. Yeah, Intro's really good. Type, top five fight song. You know all the words? No. Yeah, know the first two. Yay, Alabama. That's all. After that, I don't know. My favorite line is, because Bama's pluck and grit has writ her name in crimson flame. Fame. Fame. Always confuse flame and fame. It's close. Only a letter off. All right. And definitely a plucky, gritty group over there. Barrett Salee with a list. CBSSports.com is where you can find the story. Ten reasons why this is the most intriguing SEC season we've had in a while. I don't know how long a while is, but we'll leave that definition up to you. Reasons. Every team has big questions. We established that last week, didn't we? We yeah. did. We talked about it a good bit, right? Where And this year's probably still going to end up Alabama and Georgia because parity is nothing, but at least it feels going into it like everybody has some kind of a flaw or some level of competition to where it's not just going to go to chalk, right? It feels that way. Yeah, Barrett writes that there are major questions with the top three teams and that there is no clear-cut favorite to win the SEC this year. There's not? You could make a case for, for Georgia and for Florida. You make a, a very, very good case for them, I think. There are people that are making for cases for Texas A&M as well, but I don't buy it, True. but there are people that are doing that. I mean, this time last year, we all were all it's between Alabama and Georgia, and LSU won it. So, I mean, there's no reason to think it, it couldn't happen again from some other team. Yeah. LSU has only eight returning starters this year. And they've got to replace the Heisman Trophy winner in Joe Burrow, defensive coordinator Dave Aranda, passing game coordinator Joe Brady, etc. Uh, so everybody's got questions. That's reason number one. Reason number two, it's year three of Jimbo. Is it time to win now? It is. But will he? It Pretty favorable schedule. schedule. The schedule, look, everything is set up for Texas A&M to be really, really good this year in terms of wins and losses. But what are they going to do in the last two weeks of the season? What are they going to do when they go to Auburn? They open with Abilene Christian, then they play North Texas, then they play Colorado, then they play Arkansas, then they go to Mississippi State, then they play Fresno State. Texas A&M fans will be disappointed if they are not 6-0 and after six weeks of the season. Now, okay, maybe the Mississippi State game is a challenge in there. That's the most challenging out of their first six. 
But A&M fans feel like they should be 6-0 and after those six games. First time that Aggies look at a game on the schedule and go, okay, that, that's one that we haven't won in the past necessarily, but we need to win this year. Road trip to Auburn. Tough assignment. Then they go to South Carolina. Not exactly a super easy assignment a week after your biggest test of the season. And South Carolina's off before A&M as well. I thought you thought guys thought South Carolina was going to be garbage. I don't think they're going to be garbage. I think they're going to be garbage. So, let's let's give them a loss to Auburn. Just for the sake of this conversation. That means they're 8 and 1 going into the open date with a final four of Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Alabama and LSU. Only one of those on the road. I mean, Texas A&M fans expect to be 9-1 and going into... Or well, I mean, they may expect to be undefeated. They could be undefeated going into those final two games of the regular season. It's entirely possible. Uh, it, barring injuries, of course, it's going to be a, a disappointment if they win anything fewer than 10 games. I mean, not just for A&M fans, but... There, are there really any excuses to not be a 10-win team? Well, I mean, Auburn, Alabama, no. and LSU. Win one of those three. But they won't. And they'll you lose, they'll another lose one. all three of those? I think they'll lose all three, and they'll find a way to lose another game they're not supposed to. Could be Mississippi State. Could be who they play in the East, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt's probably not one of them. I don't know, but I feel like they'll lose a game they should and that would be disaster is a strong word, but considering what they're paying him and what the expectations are, and what the expectations are specifically going into this season, you roll out an, even a nine and three, it's disappointing. Eight and four is a disaster relative to expectation. If they go nine and three and go to an Access Bowl or go to the Citrus Bowl and finish with a ten win season, can't you say it was another step? In the right direction? You could, absolutely. Um, but what are the three? If, it, if it's Auburn and Alabama and LSU and you still finish fourth in the West, that's not good. Well, they could lose those three and finish third. Uh, yeah, true. Or they could lose – I mean, they might. I mean, is this a, is it crazy to say this is a year where five and three could finish second or tied for second in the, in the West? Not crazy one bit. Number three on the list for reasons that this is the most intriguing SEC season, SEC season in a while, hot seat coaches. Kind of have that every year. You do, but who they are is at least relatively interesting, Vanderbilt aside. I mean, Gus did. Gus went to a national championship game. And Muschamp is a well-known commodity. I mean, this is, this is his second SEC school. It, it's more noteworthy who's on the hot seat as opposed to just that there are people on the hot seat, you know? Here's a hot take for you. Given the current financial climate, anything north of, uh, let's see, seven and five or better, and Gus is back at Auburn next year. You think financially there is no hot seat? I really don't. I mean, it's less than it was last year, and it's less than it was the year before, but it's still a massive number. Number four on the list. Vols are back. Question mark, exclamation mark. 
think Tennessee's at least an interesting team to follow this year. Oh, they definitely are. I don't, I don't know what the final record looks like. I mean, my guess is, based on their schedule, they lose to Florida, they lose to Alabama, they lose to Georgia. And they probably lose at Oklahoma. And they go 8-4. and four. And it was a step in the right direction for Tennessee. Which would not necessarily be Vols are back, but it would be trending. Number five, Mississippi as a whole. I agree. All of the questions slash excitement that uh, that surround the idea of a Mike Leach offense, what it's going to look like, what K.J. Costello is going to look like, who's going to catch the football, whether the offensive line is going to be able to protect K.J. Costello, what the defense is going to look like this year after the departures over the last couple of seasons, how it's all going to fit together. Is there an upset out there for Mississippi State? What, hey, Dad, what's the game that Mississippi State is not going to be favored in where they could most likely pull an upset? Either A&M or Auburn. Maybe Kentucky. Okay. I don't know how you that, don't think that, they'll that be, line would look. You don't think they'll be favored in Lexington? Yeah, as we sit here today, no. No. But it would only probably we'll be like the a second, one or two point thing. We'll look at the second half of this list when we uh, when we continue. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. That was just the Mississippi State questions. He said Mississippi as a whole. There are obviously some fun storylines surrounding Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin as well. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. 17 minutes from now, we will listen to a conversation that Brian Haydad had with K.J. Costello, starting quarterback for Mississippi State. Transfer from Stanford coming in. Uh, Haydad told you earlier that a little bit of a surprise to him, K.J. Costello had actually made plans to be in Starkville starting in April and would have been a part of spring practice. Obviously, that turned out not to be the case because of all that has gone on in the world. You'll hear that and more in the K.J. Costello conversation. You can also hear... Uh, the interview in its entirety on the Thunder and Lightning podcast, which is available for free wherever you get your podcast. Right now we're looking at the 10 reasons, according to Barrett Salee at CBS Sports, that this is the most intriguing SE season that we've had in a while. So we were talking about the state of Mississippi as a whole. That was one of his reasons. He kind of focused on the, the coach aspect. And, and maybe, well, not maybe. I mean, that is the storyline that grabs people's attention regionally and nationally. But, you know, we talked about some of the, the questions for Mississippi State going in. You, you got fascinating questions with Ole Miss going in as well. Can they figure out something on the defensive line? Can the rest of the defense make a step forward from last year? And they made a big step forward from the previous year last season and have a lot of those guys back. Offensively, can the Rebels continue to grow in the running game with Jerion Ely and Snoop Connor? Who's going to play quarterback? Is there another player besides Elijah Moore that can emerge in the wide receiving core? What's the offensive line going to look like when it is uh, when it's all said and done? So all all of those questions are out there for Ole Miss football, and part of the reason that it makes it uh, makes it fascinating. Number six on the list, part three of Alabama, Georgia. 2018, national title, up for grabs, second and 26. 2018 SEC championship game, which was 
So it was the 2017 season with the championship game in 2018 where you got Tua with the big throw after the sack. And then in the championship game the following season, the redemption for Jalen Hurts, and then after a one-year hiatus, we get round three of the teacher versus the student. Kirby playing against his former boss, Nick Saban. Kind of uh, interesting that all three of these games now will have been played in three different kind of situations. A national title game, a conference championship game, and now just a regular season game. Yeah. There'll be plenty of buildup around that one, won't there? Oh, yes. You're talking about week three of the college football season, and it is in Tuscaloosa. In front of 50,000 people. Will it be? I hope not, but it kind of feels like we are potentially headed in that direction. I've seen schools get their players to sign liability waivers to some degree, which that's caused a little bit of outrage. And I had to do that in high school. I don't know about you guys, but I remember specifically signing a handful of waivers. When we did summer workouts, we had to sign a waiver about whatever, and then going into the season about injuries and stuff. We had to do that, and maybe it was just like our county because it was with the county that we had to do it and the the local medical center there was behind it all. But asking, like Ohio State, for example, getting their players to sign waivers to come to voluntary workouts, I I don't think that's a a bad thing at all. It's CYA. That's what they should be doing. Hmm. You're going to get fans to do the same thing? I would. I would sign a waiver in a heartbeat in a heartbeat to go to a game, and if I caught coronavirus at that game, I would deal with it because I chose to go. Is it something where people have to actually sign it, or do you just put print in the ticket when you accept the ticket that you are accepting all liability yeah. as a result by attending? That's what you've got You've got to have. There's no point in, what, are you going to get You know, 50,000 signatures? No, you're just going to, it's going to be on the ticket. And if you do it e-ticket style, which what most people are doing, before you pull up the ticket, there's your disclaimer. By, it'll, it'll by, be, I, I agree to the terms and, and, and everything like you do with your iPhone. Nobody yep. will look at it, they'll just click, and then, then <laughs> that'll be that. South Park did a really good episode about the fine print and iPhone yes, agreements, yes, by did. the way. Yes, they did. But yeah, that's all you got to, I mean... I say that's all you got to do. I'm not an attorney. We've got one down the hall. Maybe I should ask her about it. But, I mean, I would do that in a heartbeat. I would have an e-ticket on my phone, and if something popped up that said, you are assuming risk of getting coronavirus by entering this stadium, and we are immune of lawsuit or whatever, I hit yes, and I go right on in through those gates. You're waiving your right to grieve in NBA terms. That's right. sorry, MLB terms. I would waive my my right to grieve, absolutely. Number seven on the list of intriguing things in the SEC this year, Florida's defense. Because that's the okay. difference, right? It, the, yeah, they lost a big-time talent there. If they can replace that talent, it's a team that can be competitive for the SEC championship, which by default means they're competitive for a playoff spot. Todd Grantham's got his hands full. Gone are defensive lineman John Greenard and Jabari Zuniga, linebacker David Reese, defensive back C.J. Henderson from a unit that finished second in the SEC in scoring defense last year. 
They gave up only 15.5 points per game if the Gators are going to contend for the East title. The inexperienced faces taking over for former stars have to perform at an elite level. Salee writes that uh, that includes Georgia transfer linebacker Brenton Cox, linebacker slash defensive back Amari Burney, and defensive lineman Zachary Carter. It's on Todd Grantham to earn that $1.8 million paycheck. Number eight, Eli Drinkwitz's spicy off-season quotes. For example, I always think if we play at home versus Florida outside of October, we'll beat them because they're not going to play in the cold weather. Period. Close quote. Remember that day he said those quotes and we looked up the average temperature in Columbia, Missouri in October and it was like 56 degrees? Yeah. <laughs> those Florida players, they're not going to be ready Blizzards. for that. The frozen tundra of whatever Missouri stadium is. Number nine, time for Gus to get back to where Auburn fans think they should be. A little bit of a wince there from you, Mr. Haydad. Will he, though? Or, or, just as an aside, he might lose four games or more for the seventh straight year. Barrett writes that there are questions that abound in the SEC West, and Auburn is no con- uh, exception, but it has enough of a, founda- a foundation for fans around the country to expect college football playoff contention. I will say this, that it's the years that nobody expects anything from Auburn that that's when Auburn's good, so we'll see. Completely removed from this conversation, but it just popped up uh, a newspaper in 1989 when Mike Gundy was playing quarterback at Oklahoma State uh, after a game against Colorado found uh, quotes from Colorado players that claim that he called them that particular word that that you just can't call people uh, on the field during the game. Multiple players, multiple instances of doing so in 1989. Yeah. Saw that just a minute ago. Had not read all of the uh, newspaper clip, but they actually have a snapshot of the newspaper clip from the story from uh, from 1989. Mm. He did deny it, and the the article did give him the opportunity to deny it for what that's worth. Do what now? He did deny it, and the reporter in the article gave him, you know, went to him for comment, and he said that's not true. There was some jawing, but why would I say that? Yeah. 1989 was a long time ago. They even printed the word in full. It was a long time ago. If you can believe that. that. Talk about the difference between now and then. The the N-word is in this article. Nowadays, you you can't get... They'd fire everybody at the paper who did that. Yeah. Number 10 on the uh, the list of most intriguing SEC storylines for this year are the storylines that make it the most intriguing season we've had in a while, the quarterback battle at Alabama. Mac Jones was good in place of Tua Tonga-Vailoa with 14 touchdown passes, 10 after Tonga-Vailoa's injury. True freshman star Bryce Young, the top-ranked quarterback and the number 2 overall prospect in the class of 2020, will have his shot at winning the job during fall camp. Martin Simmons from CBS wrote that Young has the kind of talent that can lead Alabama to a national championship as a true freshman. Wrote that back in April. 
Does Mac Jones have that type of upside? Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian will have to make that decision. He writes, this battle has the same feel that the 2016 battle in Tuscaloosa had, complete with the same opponent in Week 1. Blake Barnett got the start in the opener against Southern Cal. Then true freshman Jalen Hurts got his shot, won the job, and led the Crimson Tide to within an eyelash of a national championship. So, interesting stuff. If you want to read that uh, story in its entirety, you can do so at cbssports.com. It was written by Barrett Salih. Coming up next, Brian Haydad's conversation with K.J. Costello on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Be sure to catch the Thunder and Lightning podcast hosted by Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. You can also get the Rebel Report hosted by Michael Borky and the Eagle Hour podcast in addition to Sports Talk Mississippi. If you miss any of the show, you can always go back and get it via podcast available wherever you get them. Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and whatnot. Earlier today, uh, Brian Haydad had a chat with Mississippi State's incoming quarterback, K.J. Costello. A.J. Costello, Mississippi State quarterback, grad transfer. Welcome to the Mississippi State. I feel like it's a tradition, man. Whenever somebody moves to the South from outside of the South, the, the first question is always about food. So I'm not going to break tradition. I'm going to get that out of the way. What, what, where have you been eating since you've been here in Starkville? Oh, man. I mean, I, I first stop for sure was uh, at Two Brothers, a little pulled pork sandwich. Um, I actually came in town about – Almost two weeks ago, so I, my birthday was on uh, last Sunday on the seventh, and my parents are in town. We actually went to restaurant Tyler, recommended by a couple people in the area, and uh, had a good time. Cool. Is it is it different? I mean, how different is the South for you so far? Just just being here. Oh, it's been awesome. I think uh, everyone's been asking, "Is it a culture shock?" This and that. I mean, I just realized hospitality is kind of what makes it special. A lot of good people. Um, you know, small town vibes is something that uh, I was a little bit used to. Go, you know, being in California, I wasn't around any major cities, so um, I definitely like uh, like the South a lot. All right, let's talk some football here. And you know, you weren't planning to be here for spring anyway. The plan was always for you to get here in, in the summer. So, from for that being said, are you about where you thought you would be from a preparation standpoint and getting ready for the season? Uh, it's funny you said I was actually trying to plan on get here for the back end of um, spring football. You know, I think it was like April 1st or 15th. Okay. Um, I was trying to get like two weeks of practice in. Um, you know, I was, you know, studying the offense and what we were able to do via Zoom and things like that once uh, obviously COVID hit. But, you know, I think I was able to learn the entire offense on paper before I got here. Um, and now it's just kind of bringing to life, um, you know, what I've learned on paper, and um, I think we've been able to do that. That raises an interesting question. You know, what did Mike Leach give you in terms of, like, I guess we call it study materials or homework? What, what, were, what were you given to get some, get that, that head start that you're talking about? Yeah, well, you know, we all, all the quarterbacks we were able to meet um, on Zoom two, three times a week. Um, and we were just going over cut-up, play-by-play. Um, we weren't actually physically given anything. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we had never really been in contact quite yet at, at the time. Um, outside of the visit, and, you know, I think it was like early March or February. Um, but 
we were just going over cutouts, going over um, a lot of Washington State tapes, you know, a lot of what they did in 2019, a lot of what they did in 18. went back all the way to Luke Falk even in 2017. Um, they've had a lot of success there, you know, at least in the past four to five years. They really tore up the Tech 12 offensively. So there's a lot of good footage um, to learn from and kind of feel, you know, watching those guys' drops and how they manage to run the system. Is this offense as simple as Mike Leach and some of his former quarterbacks has, have said in public? Is it really just, you know, just as simple as they're trying to make it out to be? Yeah, um, I'd say the com- the complexities within the simplicity. Um, I think it's it's pretty simple in terms of being able to pick up and run. You know, being able to learn the offense in let's say two to three weeks. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of just the base plays, but there's so many um, adjustments off of each base play um, that'll take, you know, a lot of time to learn, and we can get in and out of one play, you know, from just a simple signal, you know. So um, we're able to, you know, each play could be considered simple, but we're able to get from one play to another with, you know, just uh, one quick signal. So there's actually quite a bit of complexity in terms of, this pro style system I was coming from is like simple, but it's got versatility that I like. What was your uh, relationship like with Mike Leach before the recruiting process started? Obviously, you played against him while you were at Stanford. How 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 much communication had you guys had in the past? Uh, not a ton. I've seen him at Pac-12 media days. Um, you know, the last two years, I guess nineteen and eighteen. Um, heard a lot of stories about him. I had some some. Um, some high school buddies, River Craycraft and Cal Sweet, who are you know moving on now, but they played for him at Washington State and, and did really well in his system. So I've, I've I've heard more stories about him than actually had uh, you know personal interaction with him before coming out to Starkville. Let's talk about what's what's the mindset of a quarterback going into a game when he knows I'm about to throw the ball 50 to 60 times. How different is that going to be for you based on what you did prior to this at Stanford? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the quarterback's job is always to manage the game, um, understand when it's time to take risks versus take completions. I mean, that discernment is kind of what separates the good from the great. So, you know, you're obviously understanding that you're going to have a lot more opportunity throwing the ball. You don't necessarily, you know, have to be um, super greedy. You know, we may a lot of teams may only throw one, two, three big posts a game or maybe only get two opportunities, maybe even one every game, um, you know, only throwing the ball 20, 25 times. When you know you're going to drop back 50 to 60 times, I mean, overall for me kind of going into it, it's just all about taking what the defense gives me. Um, And, you know, just moving the chains. I mean, being efficient on first down, not necessarily looking for big shots, but, you know, if they're giving them to you, you know, he's got a real interesting philosophy um, in terms of, you know, a check down on a first down running four verts with, you know, Colin running an option on a, on a linebacker for four to six to ten yards is, is the same in his mind as lining up and running power zone, you know, for four to five yards on first down. So knowing when to uh, just take completions, move the ball forward, and, and continue um, getting the guy or getting the ball in your playmaker's hands. What's, what's your first impression so far of the guys on offense with you, specifically the receivers, because those are guys, you know, last yep. year, they caught a combined maybe hundred passes, and now they're going to be looking at you know three to four times that amount of catches if everything goes right. Yeah, um, no, I've been really impressed with this. I think 
Um, we got a lot of speed, a lot of guys that love football. You know, and I think one thing I realized about the SEC is you don't really got to coach effort. Um, you know, they say it matters more down here, and it, that's something that was apparent to me just coming into town. Um, you know, across the board, I mean, obviously, Osiris Mitchell coming back, he's been getting a lot of work in, and, and he's been real impressive. Uh, Devontae Payton, uh, you know, Spivey, like all, all these guys can go. It's just uh, a matter of how quickly we can learn and adapt in the system, uh, you know, to be able to uh, make plays when it counts. Sort of a weird question to ask a football player because everybody loves the games, but nobody really loves the practices. But with everything that's been going on the past few months, how much are you looking forward to the first practice? I'm looking very, I'm, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking very much forward to the first practice. It's, uh, it's been the longest time we've been out. I've been out of football practice in probably I don't know ten years or so. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, first live, at least you know. I think, I guess, we may go, I don't know what the plan is, to be honest, yet, but right. just getting in helmets, running through practice, um, getting somewhat of a game feeling, uh, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to it. Yeah, I can promise you on my end, I'm looking forward to covering that first practice. I'm, I'm ready to see some, uh, some some guys out there in helmets throwing the football around, and that's what's going to happen a lot at Mississippi State uh, this fall. K.J. Costello, man, thanks so much for, uh, for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Brian. So that was Brian Haydad with KJ Costello earlier today. Obviously, uh, you listen to him; he just he just sounds comfortable, sounds mature, uh, which is what you would expect for a, a grad transfer coming from another Power Five program and uh, a school like Stanford. Um, that was interesting at the end. How excited are you to practice? Can't wait to practice. Yeah. Which, when people yeah. are being honest, generally speaking, that's not, not a true the answer. No. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get things started, and yeah, we've been away from it for a little while, and so yeah, that's exciting. But in terms of, are you fired up about practice? Nah, if I'm being honest, probably not. Fired up about games, looking forward to it, but nevertheless. Yeah. What stood out to you? Um. He he basically you know affirmed what we've been hearing about Leach's offense that it, it is it's simple to, to install the installation part's going to be okay, but he he sort of reiterated what Leach told us on this show what he told me on the podcast that you know you worry about the repetitions you know they're going to they got to get out there and, and do that and of course we just saw uh, come across Twitter the uh, the NCA has approved uh, that walkthroughs and things can start on July twenty fourth there's going to be a six week preseason basically, for, for, for college football this year. So they'll have some extra opportunities out there. Um, and that, you know, he likes what he sees from his, from his teammates. Now, I don't think, I didn't expect him to come out there and throw him under the bus or anything. But, you know, Osiris Mitchell, I expected him to mention. Javante Payton, I didn't know if that name was going to come up or not. Uh, and that's a guy that I know a lot of people have some high hopes for this year. I, I, I thought last year in, in camp he looked great. Uh, but it never really translated to the field. We'll see if it does this season. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, good get there.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.